Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 524 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. This week, I'm heading to Brisbane with my friend Ra, who you may often see in our podcast listener community on Facebook. And if you're not yet a member of the podcast listener community, do join. We welcome you. Lots of fantastic aspiring, emerging and established writers and publishers and agents from all walks of life. So just go onto Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It'd be great to see you in there. Anyway, both Ra and I are obsessed with Hamilton. Yes, you know, the musical. And yes, that obsession has been going on for years now. And we're both super fans. So we're heading to Brisbane for opening night up there because, well, because, well, Hamilton. Uh, Let me assure you that Ra is even more obsessed than me. Um, But it's going to be great fun because we love it. But while we're there, we're also taking in a play at the Queensland Theatre Company. Uh, We'll be hanging out at the State Library. Love that place. And we'll be soaking up as much culture and food, of course, as we can. Let's move on to our writing tip this week. This is a fun tip, a creative tip, and a very motivating writing tip. If you have a work in progress, you know, that you're in the middle of writing your manuscript or your novel – Design a book cover for it. I mean, it's not going to be the, the one that ultimately gets used, but design a book cover for it so that you can visually be reminded of what you're working towards. You know, print it out. It doesn't have to be fancy. It could just be, you know, your own design. Um, print it out and stick it on your wall and admire it every single day or maybe make it your phone wallpaper or your computer wallpaper. It's kind of, it's a bit like a positive affirmation, you know, instead of imagining what the finished product will look like, you can actually see it. Or if you've got a friend who, you know, might be able to whip something up who's a bit of a designer. But if you don't, doesn't matter. You can use the very super simple online program called Canva, which I'm sure I've mentioned before. And it has loads of templates that you can select from and then tweak. So you can go to canva.com and sign up for a free account. I use the free account and you can start designing your own dream book cover straight away. And of course, make sure you put your author name on it. Um, Make sure that the cover is nice and large and make sure you have your title there and a great picture. I do recommend though, setting a bit of a deadline like a timer and only spending half an hour or an hour on it because you still have to do the writing and you can get a bit excited by what you find on Canva. But so don't become obsessed. Just make something simple and gorgeous for a bit of motivation. And of course, I'd love to see what you create if you do make your own work in progress cover. Do share it on Instagram and tag us uh, at Writers Centre AU. I really think there's power to this. I remember making a vision board. So this is your singular vision, right? But I did make a vision board actually as a little vision movie because I was playing around with iMovie on the Mac at the time. And I put on it all of the things that I wanted in my life. Um, I didn't actually give it a timeline, just all the things I wanted in my life. And I remember I had... um, Oh, you know, various images for my home life and um, personal life. And and I actually threw in an image um, that was of five fluffy white cats 
only because it was a really cute image. I didn't actually want five cats. But anyway, I know this sounds really woo-woo, but a year later, every single image in that little movie became reality. The five cats, though, became five pets. There were two cats and three dogs, so it wasn't quite right. But who would have known that I would end up with five in a year? I didn't even want five. I just thought it was a cute picture. So... Like I said, now it sounds a bit woo-woo, but hey, it worked for me. Anyway, let's move on to our competition this week. Oh, this is a cracker. I'm sure people are going to love this. I have three copies to give away of Novelist as a Vocation by Haruki Murakami. This is great. This is great. In this engaging book, the internationally best-selling author and famously reclusive writer shares with readers what he thinks about being a novelist his thoughts on the role of the novel in our society, his own origins as a writer, and his musings on the sparks of creativity that inspire other writers and artists and musicians. Readers who have long wondered where the mysterious novelist gets his ideas and what inspires his strangely surreal worlds will be fascinated by this highly personal look at the craft of writing. So just go to writercentre.com.au slash win for your chance to enter. Entries close on Monday, the 6th of February. So go to writercentre.com.au slash win for your chance to win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because the word of the week this week is degust, as in D-E-G-U-S-T, degust. You probably already know the word degustation, as in a degustation menu, which is a tasting menu where there's like, you know, 10 or 20 or whatever courses. And by the end, you're very full and you might feel a bit disgusted. (laughs) Um, Sometimes you're not full because the actual courses are so small. But anyway, degust is a verb to degust. And it means to taste, especially in order to appreciate the flavor and quality to savor. So you could say, he couldn't wait to degust the 250-year-old cheese. There you go, degust. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Luke Rutledge's debut novel is A Man and His Pride, which I have no doubt is going to be hit not only in Australia but internationally. He has done several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. He studied music at the Queensland Conservatorium of Music and is based in Brisbane. Thanks for joining us today, Luke. Thank you, Valerie, for having me. Congratulations. A Man and His Pride. This is so awesome. This is going to be huge, I can already tell. For people who have not got their hands on a copy yet, can you tell us what it's about? 
Sure. Um, so, A Man and His Pride is about Sean Preston, uh, who is a 26-year-old gay man living in Brisbane, um, and it's set during the 2017 uh, same-sex marriage plebiscite, which I'm sure everybody in Australia will be able to remember. Um, so when we first meet Sean, he's just been dumped by his first ever boyfriend of three months in a very brutal way. Um, and as a result, Sean, he vows to never become emotionally attached uh, to another man ever again. And so he falls into... Um, you know, his old habits of drinking a lot, having uh, lots of sort of casual sex that leaves him feeling empty, um, and also spending much of his time at the gym, uh, probably too much of his time at the gym. Um, so, you know, Sean isn't the happiest person when we meet him. He's He's got a lot of baggage and he's very much adrift um, in the world. Um, but as the story unfolds, we start to learn more about his past and sort of delve into some of his uh, internalized um, trauma and and discover why he is the way that he is. Um, but then everything starts to change when Sean meets a guy called William. And William is the complete opposite of Sean. He's, he's very open and proud about the fact that he's gay. Um, he's got a long history of long-term relationships, but he's also very naive when it comes to the gay dating scene. Um, and so the two of them sort of decide to help each other out and an unlikely friendship starts to blossom. Um, so it's, in a nutshell, it's a story about finding your pride, um, learning to love and accept yourself. Um, it's a story about trauma and, and overcoming the demons from your past. And finally, and most importantly, it's a story about the friendship between these two gay men. What made you come up with this idea and want to write this book? So I had been writing um, some YA manuscripts um, in my late 20s, um, and most of those stories were kind of a, a version of your typical sort of coming out story um, that I think we've all sort of read quite a few times before and seen in movies, particularly today with lots of TV shows coming out. Um, and then I got some feedback from an agent um, who, who asked me to consider for the next one writing something that sort of toned down some of the more adult content so that it could be marketed towards a younger audience who she felt needed to hear the messages that I was trying to, you know, convey in my stories. And so I sort of thought about that for a while and then I thought, well, I'm not really reading YA anymore. Um, I'm just kind of reading adult novels. Um, and that's when I decided to try my hand at writing my first adult novel, uh, which became A Man and His Pride. Um, so, yeah, in thinking about what I actually wanted to write about, I, I knew that I wanted to write a story um, about a man who was gay and it, you know, revolve in some way around his sexuality because that's kind of what I was interested in as, as a topic. Um, but I didn't want to write another coming out story. I sort of felt like I'd, I'd done that. So then I sort of thought, well, what happens next? What, what happens after that period of or that event, I suppose, of coming out? And, you know, I think because there's a whole grey area between being in the closet and being out and proud and I think it's a period that's unique to, to queer people that maybe a lot of other people haven't really thought about before. Um, so I guess that was the inspiration behind, um, 
yeah, behind the story of a man and his pride. Now, Sean Preston, your protagonist, mm-hmm. is a young gay guy living in Brisbane. He works for a bank as a, in the communications department. This isn't; these aren't spoilers for listeners, yeah, by yeah. the way. This is just yeah. you know, this is established fairly early. Um, communications department as a social media manager for a bank. Now, you work in communications, <laughs> um, live in Brisbane. Um, how much of Sean is based on your experience? Do you work for a bank and are a social media manager? No, I don't work for a bank. I work in the union movement, um, but I do work in a communications role and I have worked in the social media space in the past. Um, and so I suppose in that sense, yes, like obviously there's a direct parallel between myself and Sean. But I have to be upfront from the outset, Sean's story is is not my story. Um, he and I are very different in pretty much every single way. Um, I think the inspiration from Sean more came from some of the men that I had met in my own years of dating um, on the gay scene back in the day uh, when I was single. And there are a couple that sort of uh, stayed with me, I suppose, in my mind, because they they sort of struck me at the time that even though they were out and open about the fact that they were gay, they, they didn't try to hide it. Um, it struck me that they had a lot of baggage and maybe some just unresolved feelings there that they had never really worked through before. Um, and I think that comes back to what I was saying before with this grey area of you know, being in the closet and being out and proud. And I think a lot of gay men, you can be out, but you don't necessarily feel proud about that. And so it kind of struck me that um, some of these men sort of had the walls up and, you know, there was like a bit of a fear of commitment, fear of introducing me to any of their friends and family. So a bit of maybe internalised shame there. Um, So I think that's probably where Sean's character came from. Um, Definitely not from my own personal experience. (laughs) Now, I want to talk more about the characters and your development of them soon. But first, I want to talk about your writing process. Um, Can you give us an idea of the journey of this story from its germination to um, how how hard or easy it was to... pour out of you um, and and how long it took and how you fit it around your day job. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think once I'd made that decision to write an adult novel, I think that kind of um, freed me up a lot. Like I felt like I didn't have to filter anything really um, and I was kind of free to write whatever I wanted and say whatever it was that I wanted to say. So once I'd made that decision, it was a fairly easy process to get that first draft out, particularly once I decided that it would be set during the marriage equality campaign. Um, I had that idea about two weeks into the planning stage where I was just kind of taking notes about the characters and coming up with some of the major events. And once I'd had that idea, which happened to me in the shower, uh, um, you know, I just kind of thought, oh, well, why don't I set it during that that period? It kind of seemed to um, add like this natural sort of timeline or an arc to the story. 
Um, like I sort of knew where it was going to end then. So that that first draft took about six months to write, um, but it was probably the drafts that came after that that were the hardest part, really, because I got to the end of that first draft, put it away for a month, and then reread it, and realized it was it was terrible. Like it was, um, I had to force myself <laughs> to get to the end of reading it. Like it was just really bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, at least it was out there and it could be worked on. <laughs> and, and as I'd been writing that first draft, I kept having all these ideas that were were good ideas, but I knew that it was going to make it, I would I would have to go back and rewrite entire sections. But I didn't do that. I just kept going and just left a note or wrote down ideas or whatever. So that second draft took another seven months and I rewrote the entire thing from third person into first person, uh, which I quickly realised was not as simple as changing he <laughs> to I. You know, it was, but but that's how I think the character of Sean ended up coming through because I was writing in his voice. Um, so in terms of my routine, so, yeah, I, I work full time Monday to Friday. Um, so I write in the mornings before work. I get up at about 5, 5.30 and I, I feed the dog, make a cup of coffee <laughs> and I just sit down and, and I and I write. And it's kind of uh, pretty uh, just as simple as that, really. It's, it's quite uncomplicated. I don't have any kind of rituals or anything like that. The only thing that I need is to be alone um, and to not have anyone around me, even if they're not talking to me because I just feel too self-conscious <laughs> when I'm writing. Because um, often so much of it is just me sitting in the chair thinking and staring into the distance um, and, you know, so I need to be able to do that by myself. So I guess that's a bit of the process. How many hours do you do write for in the mornings? Um, oh, anywhere between one and two, I suppose. And yeah. was it just a morning thing or did you come home and do it or were you too stuffed by then and did you do weekends as well? Yeah, so I, I can't write in the afternoon. Like when I get home, the last thing I want to do is sit down in front of a computer and, and write. Um, so it is always in the morning and that's when my mind is at its clearest, I suppose. Um, but then sometimes like if I'm really in the flow of writing, I'll take myself on the weekends to the Queensland State Library in Brisbane. And that's one of my favourite places to write, actually. Um, I always feel productive when I'm there. It's it's quiet. It's got a nice view of the city. It's just a nice place to write. And and often I can sit there for three to four hours, I suppose, and, and just write nonstop. So, Yeah. It's gorgeous, isn't it? I love those little pods, but you really got to get there and score one, don't you? <laughs> They're in high demand. <laughs> yep. So then you, you've you done your second draft. What happened after that? Well, then I did a third draft, actually, um, and, and I should say it was after that first draft and I realised that it that I had a bit of a mess in front of me, really, and I, I was feeling a bit dejected, and like I'd just wasted all this time. And that's when I actually decided to do um, a couple of the um, online self-paced courses through the Australian Writer Centre. Mm -hmm. um, I think I did structure and the um, cut polish. Cut yeah, cut shape polish. Yeah. And those courses really, um, they just gave me like, they just opened my eyes to being able to see what wasn't working um 
And there were two main things actually that I worked on. So as I said before, one of them was rewriting the whole first draft in first person um, because I realised the character of Sean and many of the other characters really just weren't kind of jumping off the page. It was just a little bit stale. And the other one was the structure of the story. I realised from that course that I had the problem of the saggy middle (laughs) where there was just nothing um, of significance happening in the middle. The story was just kind of plodding along um, and, you know, it just wasn't that interesting. And then at the end of the story, there was just so much happening all at once and it was just like way too much. So what I did was I took something that happened originally at the end of the story and I put it in the middle um, and anyone that's that's read the book will know there's something that happens in the middle with Sean where it kind of pushes him into another gear and sort of shifts the story in a way. Um, so a lot of the second draft was was rewriting that um, to make it work as well. Um, and then after the third draft, that's when I got it to a point where I was sort of happy with it enough to to feel like I could actually send it out to people um and that's when I started querying agents yeah and so it's um uh, let's come back to the characters you mentioned that you thought that the characters weren't jumping off the page and that's one of the reasons that you changed Sean from third person to first person mm-hmm. obviously you did a lot of work on the characters because I really felt that the characters were people I knew or or were you know people I'd worked with or people, you know, that I'd come across in some way. Um, And just the subtleties of some of the ways you described them or not even described it, some of their actions spoke volumes from these tiny actions. In terms of developing your characters, how conscious was that in terms of working on developing those characters or did you just kind of write and they developed as you wrote them? Yeah, they definitely develop as I write them and more importantly, as I rewrite them. I think most of the, most of those nuances come from the subsequent drafts. Like none of that is there in the first draft. Like the first draft is basically you trying to figure out yourself what it is that you're trying to say and what the story is actually going to be about and so the characters are just kind of these two-dimensional cutouts, really, that just kind of serve the story. Um, so, yeah, in terms of developing them, I'm not sure because I, I I never really sit down and, and like, interrogate my characters that much or write, you know, briefs of who they are and what their motivations are. I mean, at some point, obviously, I'm aware of that, but I think a lot of it is probably happening in the back of your mind subconsciously um yeah but I suppose the main point is that all all of that sort of stuff happens when you're rewriting and and ideas just kind of come to you as as you're writing a scene and and you'll think of a good bit of dialogue so so for example with William so he's kind of in a way the heart of the story that's the way that I see him um but he wasn't like that initially. Like, I think it was probably not till the third draft that I decided, oh, he needs to be a bit funnier because um, he's unashamedly gay. Like, he's one of these flamboyant, out and proud gay men. And that's what's so good about him. Um, but he wasn't always like that in the earlier drafts. So 
um, a lot of that just kind of comes from the process of, of rewriting and just thinking, spending more time with these characters and you flesh mm. them yeah. Let's talk then about um, you felt your book is ready and then you started querying. Tell us about the journey to publication. Uh, so I began querying agents, um, Australian agents, um, and, yeah, I was lucky enough to hear back from my now agent, uh, Melanie Ostell, who didn't take me on at first. She she requested a, the full manuscript and and read it and said, look, there's some some issues with it, but I'm willing to sit down with you and, and have a chat about it. And so we had um, a really long conversation actually about the book and she just gave me all of this advice basically on, on how to make it better really essentially. And so I went away and spent... Uh, it must have been another two months or so uh, trying to make those changes and not knowing if what I was doing was what she wanted. Um, and so then I, I I did that. I sent it back to her. She got back to me a few weeks later and, and said that she'd like to represent me. Um, so that was very exciting. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was kind of the first hurdle that, to be honest, I actually didn't think that I would achieve. Like I'm... I'm one of these people that's just riddled with doubt and I, I don't think that it's ever going to happen to me, you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, it happened. Um, and then there was another process of redrafting with her. She's a very hands-on agent, um, but she, you know, wants to get the manuscript to a point where she feels it's ready to send out to public uh, to publishers. And so that's what we did. Um, and, and eventually, um, yeah, we got an offer from Penguin and, mm. um, yeah, the rest just kind of happened from there. Yes, the rest is going to be history. <laughs> um, so when you first queried her, though, you had finished your manuscript but you would have queried, what, a synopsis and three chapters, is that correct? And then she asked for the full thing? Yes, that's correct. Yep, yep. Right. And so can you remember when you heard presumably from her that penguin said we want it um so it's interesting when penguin gave me the offer it was a bit of a slow burn actually because my now publisher ali watts she read the manuscript and she responded very positively to it she she loved it and so she and i met on zoom and and had a conversation about it and from that conversation i i could tell that she wanted to publish it but at that point, um, it still had to get through the acquisitions meeting and, you know, she had to convince a lot of other people um, to publish it. And so I, I didn't really allow myself to believe that it was going to happen. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to get too excited, um, you know, then just to be told, oh, actually, it's not going to happen and then to be really disappointed. So when I did eventually get the offer from them, it, it was this weird kind of between of it, I was very obviously very excited, but I sort of knew it was going to happen as well on some level. Um, but, yeah, it was just a very surreal experience and um, I think I'm still pinching myself. And I think <laughs> sort of akin it to, you know, the five stages of grief where your mind sort of takes a while to, to um, process what has actually happened and I think it was a little bit of that. I mean, obviously I wasn't grieving. I was very happy. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, I think overwhelmingly at first I just felt in shock and some of that excitement didn't start to, I guess, materialise until maybe a few days later when my brain had had a chance to actually process that this was happening. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so at the Australian Writers' Centre, you had completed Novel Writing Essentials Fiction Essential Structure and Cut Shape Polish, as you mentioned. Where do you think you would be if you hadn't done those courses? Um, well, I don't I don't think that I would be getting published, to be honest, because um, some of the changes that I made to the manuscript, which in hindsight I can see made it the, the story that it is today were a direct result from from those courses I think with the novel writing essentials so I was actually working on another manuscript for that course um and it was just after that agent had said to me I'll oh, try toning down the, the adult content for the next one that you write so I actually did take that advice on board initially and and tried to write another YA story and I'd written about 10,000 words and that's when I decided to enroll in the novel writing essentials course Um, and that was the first time that I had ever really shown other writers my work and so I was quite nervous about it but in the end like it was just the most positive experience and more than anything it gave me confidence like a boost in confidence because I got a lot of positive feedback from both the tutor and the other students about the the samples that I was showing them. Uh, But, you know, also a lot of constructive feedback that really, like, I I tried really hard to take on board. Um, And then I think most importantly from that course was critiquing other people's work, which was something that I had never done before. And, of course, it's so easy to to see the flaws in other people's work because you're not close to it. but once you start to see what's not working in someone else's work, you can see it in your own. And so I think just developing those skills, a combination of that and the theory from the, you know, the the actual modules in the classes was just um, absolutely vital, I suppose, in how I developed the the manuscript that ended up going on to become a man in his pride. When I was reading this, I was thinking, what is it? I mean, there's many things that I think they're special and unique about this book, but I, one of the things that only after um, uh, when I read sort of some of the notes of the book that, and it said there is an abundance, as you've mentioned, of young adult novels for questioning young teens, but very few are targeted at adults who are still struggling with their identity and mm-hmm. even fewer are distinctly Australian. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's just a bit of a gap in the market, to be honest. I mean, I think it's a bit of a risk even today for a publisher to publish a story that is very distinctly gay because really, I mean, they want to sell as many books as possible so you have to appeal to the mass market. And so, yeah, I think... um, it's just a, maybe a bit too much of a risk for publishers. I don't know. But then we're seeing a lot of YA stories coming out um, that are, you know, about gay characters. And as I said before, they're that sort of typical coming out story. But in a sense, like when you're writing for YA, there's only like you you do have to kind of filter what you can put in and what you can't because it has to be appropriate. 
So, yeah, I, I think it's just a gap in the market. And one thing that I noticed was any sort of gay novels that I do read, they're either international, like they're by international authors, or they're more literary. They're, they're more kind of appealing to a literary audience. Um, so I, I did want to write something that was just kind of fun and accessible um, more than anything else. Yeah. I think you're right in saying that it is a risk for publishers, but the ri- it's not a risk when it's a great story and it's well-written. Mm. So my qu- next question then to you is what's next? um well i i am working on the first draft of another adult novel which which also does um revolve around a gay character i i think for the foreseeable future i want to keep writing about uh gay gay people in their lives just because that's what i'm interested in and i don't think that there's enough of those stories out there um but i am because i'm in that first draft i am at that point even though i'm getting to the end where I'm still not sure what it is that I'm trying to say. And I'm just trying to trust the process that it will kind of work out. I know there's a lot of work ahead of me. Um, I'm, I'm kind of at that point where I was in the first draft of A Man and His Pride, where I'm having lots of ideas as I go along, which I know I'm going to have to go back and, um, you know, rewrite entire sections. Um, so that's a bit scary. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be another adult novel. Um, but it's, I think still a while off yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And we always end with what are your top three tips? Uh, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit, um, in for you. Uh, what are your top three tips for writers who are, you know, they've, they, they're experiencing that, that kind of self-doubt that Mm. you, um spoke of and but they really want to write they really want to get their book out there what's your advice to them okay so I did think about this because I knew you were going to ask it um (laughs) so my first tip would be um do things that are going to keep inspiring you to keep writing so in every manuscript there are going to be those moments where you do feel like giving up um and that it's just all too hard Um, But one thing that keeps me going during those moments is hearing other writers talk about their struggles, which kind of sounds a little bit morbid, whatever, but it reminds you that we all go through it, even the most experienced writers. Um, I remember listening to an interview with Leanne Moriarty and she talked about how at the start of every novel um, she's overcome with this overwhelming sense of doubt over whether she can do it again. Um, and for some reason, I just found that to be really comforting and, and reassuring because I have those doubts all the time. But I find that hearing other writers talk about similar feelings helps me um, put things into perspective and just knuckle down and, and do the work. Um, so that's my first tip is do things that, you know, are going to keep you inspired. The second tip would be you need to learn to be your own worst critic. And by that, I mean, you need to be able to see the flaws in your own work. Um, And of course, you have to, you know, get feedback from from other writers as well. That's very important because they will see things that you never will. Um, But before you do that, I think you need to be able to take a step back from your own work and look at it 
with a fresh perspective and see what's working, what's not. And it's really hard because you've just spent six to 12 months writing that first draft and chances are it's not going to be very good um, because first drafts never are. But I think you need to learn to leave your pride at the door and just be ruthless with deciding what's working and what's not um, and, and be prepared to make those big changes that are likely going to cause you a lot of pain in the short term. Uh, but in the long term, like they're the changes that really, I think, take the story to the next level. Uh, so that's my second tip. And then my third tip is um, learn something from every manuscript that you write. So most debut authors have likely written other manuscripts um, before they write the one that gets published. Um, and at the time when you realise that the one that you've written isn't going to make it, it's a really hard moment and I'm guilty myself of letting it get the better of me. Um, you know, but but you don't, but if you don't learn how to get past that initial disappointment and learn something constructive from the manuscript, then it really will have all been for nothing um, because you won't have moved on and grown as a writer. So identify what it is in the manuscript that held it back, what worked well, and just tell, tell yourself the next one is going to be better. Brilliant. A man in his pride. Congratulations. Thank you so much for your time today, Luke. Thank you so much, Valerie. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. All right, I have an awesome fun fact for you this week. Remember the song, I Scream, You Scream, We All Scream for Ice Cream? <laughs> well, I Scream and Ice Cream are oronyms. An oronym is a group of words or a phrase that sounds the same as another group of words. So some other examples are four candles versus fork handles. <laughs> A notion versus an ocean, some others versus some mothers, and for a whole RNM sentence, the stuffy nose can lead to problems, as in when you have a stuffy nose when you're sniffing, and the stuff he knows can lead to problems. There you go. Oronyms. All right. We've come to the end of this week's episode. Thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, I've really enjoyed it and I hope that you have too. And I look forward to connecting with you in the Facebook group. Um, for all of the show notes, go to soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. You can find me on social media at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. 
Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.